Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the 1/160th of a second photography podcast. I'm here today with Mike and we're going to be talking about not making money from photography. Many people who are photographers like to see if they can make money from photography and, and that includes me. I've made some money and I've attempted to make some money from photography but ultimately I've, I've stopped doing that because I gave up on it and I'm going to talk to Mike about very similar things. So, Mike, would you just like to introduce yourself, please? Hiya, uh, I'm Mike Malloy. I'm an amateur photographer based in Milton Keynes. So, looking at the ways to make money from stock photography, I'm, I'm just going to go and list them, really. So, you could sell stock images, you could photograph weddings, you could do corporate photography, you could do event photography, you could train people in your skills as a photographer. If you had a studio or a space, you could hire it out for photographers. You could photograph property, you could hire your kit out, you could do fine art prints, you could do prints and sell them to people, you could do commissions for people, you could do headshots, you could do LinkedIn profiles, you could do nightclub photography, or you could do product photography. Can you think of anything else or have I covered pretty much all of it? Some of the avenues I've explored are uh, sites like Redbubble, and Society6, where you can have different things printed, anything from shower curtains to mugs to bath mats, all these kind of strange and quirky things that these websites will allow you to produce. Initially, I would go on those sites to try and promote framed photography, but there's always a good avenue somewhere along the line for a nice scarf that you could buy for your wife or something like that, different ways that you could potentially make money on top of the standard conventional ones that you've just listed. So really what you're talking about is a online business that sells products. Their unique selling point is that they cover the whole world and people can upload images and you can pick that. If you like that image, you can pick it. You can put it on various products of frames, pictures, prints, canvases, scarves, mugs, etc. For that type of business, what's the roughly what's the split? What does the photographer get? I'd say it's about 20%. Uh, as they provide the website, they provide the ability to upload art that you've created. And as the photographer or the artist, because it's not just photography on these sites, as, as the, the contributor, shall we say. So after their manufacturing costs, they give you about a 20-25%. Some sites do let you do stock photography and will sell it for commercial reasons. And you can change your percentage or a fixed cash price on some of those ones. And they do vary on the sites which ones you will allow you to do that. But in general, it's a fixed price and they will make the item, ship it on your behalf and then give you a small split. So really, you use those sites to give you a global audience, I'm guessing. In a way, it's a good way of exposure and trying to get your photographs on in a different platform other than just frame photography. Some pictures that I've uploaded, you think, that, well, this is going to look great in a frame. And then when you see them lower down in all the other products that you can then select, you think, well, actually, that looks quite good as a mug. It, it, you know, bizarrely, it, it does work in the patterning and you can shrink and increase the size. And you can get a new idea for a new type of picture just by playing around with the actual sizing on the site and, and background colours that you could put in and, and things like that if the, if the photograph is too small. So there's different avenues of inspiration even just by uploading to a site like that that you might not have come across before. Let's give a bit of background to this episode for the listeners. When I first spoke to Mike about this, we talked about commercial photography and doing things. And then when we had a further chat, we found that we hadn't quite reached our target in sort of selling things and, and making money off photography. And we talked about, wouldn't it be good to do an episode of what we'd actually achieved in photography and, and, and how to help people out 
and maybe do things different or maybe take the same route. So what sort of success have you had and what, so you've talked about the avenues of using the various sites that sell products. What other attempts have you made? Typically I would use Twitter to try and market things. I find hashtags is a very good way of allowing your work to be online in a almost hashtag forum, if you like, if that's the right way. So if you search to hashtag, your post is always going to be there forever until it gets pushed down so far that no one would, would be able to see it. But marketing is is the main thing I've been keep trying to do to, to get some success from, from being a photographer. Using hashtags in Twitter and putting the URL link and maybe trying to coincide something with an event like, say, England winning a game in the World Cup, for example, I have a English flag picture with kind of cross St George and a crown and a lance, which I've used as a print before. So I would then put that on a hashtag or several hashtags on Twitter so that then people will go, oh, actually, that's quite relevant to what I'm looking at. Maybe try and get a sale from that and market myself in that direction. And obviously, I'm guessing when something substantial comes around for England again, so for people listening in the in my future, I'm going to say we've just had the World Cup and England did a lot better than expected in the World Cup. So that, I mean, there's always a lot of interest around England in a football tournament anyway. But I'm guessing when the next, when the Euros come up, when there's an England friendly, you're probably going to be promoting that again, aren't you? That's right. And you could use it for cricket, rugby, anything that would basically be an English national team or an English event, even such as a royal birth or a royal wedding or something along those kind of lines anything that would be an English related, you know, I could use that as a way of trying to sell a print or sell something along, along those lines. So when you're taking images with the mind of selling, are you thinking in that sort of selling mind? Do you think um, that looks good and I can market it against these key terms or I can market against these hashtags? Is Does that sort of focus your mind on what you photograph? I do that a lot more these days. I, when I first started out with DSLR, I didn't do that. I just took pictures for pleasure and tried to get a great looking picture of a landscape or of a architectural structure or something along those lines. More recently, as I've been kind of turned on to stock photography and other avenues, as we've previously mentioned, of trying to sell works of art, if you like, as a, a mug or a bath mat, if that still counts, then I would now approach it a little bit more in terms of if I see a subject, can I use that as a stock photography picture or as a something that would look good in someone's bathroom as a shower curtain <laughs> it's a very strange way of approaching photography i understand but you know but if you could maybe even make a sale of somebody who's got a shower curtain of something that's quite unique and looks very interesting and original then that's just as good as having somebody hang your print on their wall it's it's still getting your art out there it's still getting you noticed Yes, no, I, I would agree. And I guess for stock photography, you're thinking in terms of how this is going to be used. So you might take a picture of, because we're in a leafy surroundings, I'm going to say a leaf, you might take a picture of a leaf, but you're probably thinking, well, that needs to be on a clear background. That I probably need to do that on a white background. I probably need to do that against a black background, high key and low key. Maybe I need to do it on green as well. Do you sort of run through all the permutations of how an end user was going to use a stock image? Not in that sense, no. I would look at an image, for example, uh, we'll say a park bench, which is just a general bench in a small landscape with a path running through it. I would take the image as a raw image in my camera 
I would put that into Lightroom and then I would try and get different permutations of the the way that the white balance could be or changing around the, the saturation of different colors or something just to make it a little bit more ever so slightly different maybe and then try and upload that to the, one of the stock sites and generally they will take it because it's kind of non-specific it's a you know a general sort of thing maybe like a picture of a sky or something that's not product specific it's just something that is a very average picture so to speak but people would still maybe want to use that in advertising marketing who knows what these people use them for you know there's, there's many reasons so i would maybe make two or three versions of that in lightroom and have a look some of the stock photography sites like shutterstock will not let you upload more than one image of the same image i have to then go right okay well which one would possibly be more commercially useful if somebody wanted to use it and then upload that one there's another website called iam which i've used which if they accept you for their premium collection will then send to getty so i've done stuff on there and had pictures of cornfields and things like that that, well, that are now available on getty which are just a general kind of non-specific it's just a wavy cornfield with you know green corn and, and what have you so th there's different ways of, of trying to approach it I, I don't always set out to go well that needs to have a green background or that needs to have a blue background i, I just kind of wander around and look and go well, okay that might work that might not work um, and see how it goes from there and do you look at emerging sort of trends? Do you, do you analyze trends to get an idea of what's going to be the next big thing in stock photography? Or do you just do what you like? I mostly do what I like, but I do kind of keep an eye on, on the ball a little bit and, and look at other contributors on stock sites that are, you know, in a similar vein to, to ones that I've uploaded already. When you, you see your picture on there and you kind of look at other similar ones, you go, ah, OK, well, they're doing that maybe they've sold that because that's got that in it or something along those lines and then next time i'd come out i'd go right okay that could be better if i had that angle or I was lower down higher up or something and, and try and work out but I don't, I don't look at trend specific because trends kind of come and go quite quickly and with stuff online you tend to find that somebody might be looking at it in two or three years time and that trend has long gone so if you kind of keep it a bit more general then you're more likely to kind of have a wider audience for a longer period of time rather than just something that's happening right now for example the world cup as we're recording this has just finished in two years time anything world cup related isn't really going to be relevant so you're highly unlikely to get a crowd scene or something like that sold as a stock image because that wouldn't be relevant at that time so if you kept it more generalized your the life of the product or the image should be longer roughly how many images have you uploaded to the various stock and product sites uh, at the moment i've got around about 30 30 and what sort of success have they had not a lot <laughs> to be quite honest with you <laughs> not a lot fair enough but it's early days the the shutter stock ones i've only been contributing on there for about two weeks uh, as we record this getty stuff i've had on there for a about three months now but I've only got five images on there that's a little bit harder to get onto. I would say with Getty there's a lot more images on Getty that are available to purchasers than there are on Shutterstock I could be wrong about that but so you do get maybe lost a little bit in the quantity of photography that is out there that could potentially be used and again hashtags when you or keywords when you actually upload these things 
the more of those that you can put on, the more you're likely to be found by somebody who says green field, blue sky, park bench, then you're going to get yours you know, quite near the top of the list if you've got some of those hashtags or keywords within the description. But yeah, it's early days and hopefully if we do another podcast again in a in a year or two i could be saying to you yeah great you know i've i've made you know x amount of money from it you've started to sow the seeds here and you've got a variety of images and some of them you you've sort of spread it across you've hedged your bets haven't you if yeah you've hedged your bets and it seems like you're testing the market as well that's right i mean there are many many avenues online where you can get your work out there to people not just in walled framed art so the more I look online and the more I would maybe watch somebody on YouTube who said, here's 10 ways that you can make money as a photographer. You go, ah, okay, I know those nine, but I didn't know that 10th one. So then that leads you to a website that you go, ah, right, okay, I could maybe try that. And then you go back through your catalog of photography and you think that actually might work in this situation. Whereas I've had an image for three, four years, sat on the computer, maybe it's been on my website for a while, nothing's ever happened with it. All of a sudden that then fits with that profile on that website that they're what they're looking for like stock photography like the, the shower curtain if you would really want a shower curtain and then you think well there's a new lease of life for those photographs now i can then re-upload to a new site and, and go down that avenue and see whether there's any money to be made there and i think it's, it's probably quite important to point out to our listeners who probably know this making money from photography doesn't happen overnight and is not easy indeed for me i've made a small bit of chargeable income from product photography just to see what what it was like really i can't remember how i came across this person but i photographed some books for their website i didn't read the books they sent me the book and they paid for them to go back i didn't read them i just photographed them photographed them together did a variety of images angles and stuff and then polished them up and sent them the images can you imagine how they wanted those images to look what sort of things would you want for a website small jpeg that wasn't what i was thinking actually i was actually think i was actually alluding to they wanted white background oh i see okay a low key and a high key are quite easy to do you can't really go too wrong with them it's just about how much work you do in photoshop getting it absolute white or absolute black so i did that and i maybe i found them on maybe i found them on gumtree or maybe they found me on gumtree other things i've done is i used to do headshots now the reason i picked headshots again maybe i took the same approach as you I picked headshots because I thought that has a low setup cost. I have the equipment already. They predominantly be done outside or against a small background. Quite low overheads. I don't need to buy a studio for that. And I did a few headshots for people. People liked what I did. Of course, people didn't want to pay the prices I wanted to pay. Some, you know, some people did. I found doing promotions, got more, got more business, got more traffic. But I never made a huge fortune. But something I did was I switched to doing LinkedIn profile pictures. Those were drastically cheaper than a, a headshot, but to sort of make it worthwhile, the person didn't get to choose. The person got one JPEG sent to them, that was that. And again, that was going to be against white backgrounds and so on and so forth. So that was something that the average person couldn't do. You couldn't do with your smartphone. So you need a professional photographer for that. And so I'd meet them, I'd take three snaps, I'd go, I'd do my pro my post-processing, send it to them, and, and that was the sort of payment. And that business model worked quite well, because again, people couldn't do it. I sort of aimed my headshot business at actors, and then after I set it up, I thought, oh, actors are well known for not having any money. But I thought, but they will invest in, in good headshots. They will invest in good headshots. And yes, some people did, but what was interesting was people got in contact, 
who weren't actors who again needed them for their website or things like that and it was never it was never huge money and it allowed me to reinvest in my kit and that's really why I did it it subsidized my sort of growth and expansion into photography so it was a good learning curve so those are the things I've done I've never done any stock photography I have done a few weddings and like most photographers I think no have you done a wedding um, i did a friend's wedding as a freebie because they were friends and it was you know a really just good experience for me and because i had the camera to do it which was it was an interesting experience there's some great shots that came out of it doing it as a career i i have looked at maybe thinking of doing that but i, I possibly need to go for a full frame because my my dslr isn't a full frame camera and is maybe what 12 megapixel i think something like that so i'd probably wait until i got a full frame body with a higher megapixel rate and then possibly consider it but there are a lot of good wedding photographers out there and i i do want to know one or two locally who are very good so i would essentially be competing against them but you need the experience i think a little bit more and possibly doing a few more freebies for friends as, as they come along would be a better option to start with than just going straight in and saying i want x amount for a day and then you're kind of not really that confident about delivering the, the kind of quality that, that they're going to expect. There is that element with photography businesses. You need to be able to show what you can do. And the, the only way to do that really is to do it for free. If you say to someone, oh, I'll, I'll work for you and I'll, I'll do it for 25% of my normal price or sorry, 25% of the price I thought of this morning, they're not going to go for that. You have to do some for free. And when I tested the wedding photography, I, I did a few for free. What was, what's really interesting is of all the people I've done the odd shoot for a commercial shoot something for a friend something for testing a market those who have got something for free have been more needy more demanding than those who have paid it's really interesting isn't it so for, for weddings you'd always have to do some to say look here's what I can do yes this would be my third wedding shoot but look I've done three weddings this is what I've got I'm very confident I can do it and you know what the price is going to reflect me being new into the business. I don't think you need a full frame, actually. I did my weddings with a Canon 550D. I have a full frame camera, but I bought the original 5D. That's still very good in low light. I can comfortably shoot at 3200 ISO and be happy with the images. And that's its top ISO, actually. And, and the 550D, I, I wouldn't really shoot over 800. Yeah, mine's a 500D, the one I've got at the moment. If you're in a church, that's difficult because churches are dingy. But if you're in a registry office or like in a hotel, you can generally use bounce flash because they've got a white ceiling. They don't have that in a church. And a lot of the shots are outside on a hot, sunny day. So I suppose what I would recommend is if you wanted, what you really need as well as a wedding photographer is you need a backup and redundancies as well, which I, so you need at least one body in your boot that's spare in case you drop it or someone spills a pint on it or whatever, or it just doesn't work. You need spare batteries, you need spare everything. So if you've got the one camera, I would probably recommend for the day you hire a camera, you lose 50 quid, but you build that into your billing. That's right. Yeah, you can uh, you can allow for that in the costs. Backup lenses aren't so critical because you're going to bring two, three, four, five lenses with you, aren't you? I, I have four at the moment for my 
set up for anything from the, the kit 18 to 55 right through to you know nifty 50 and what have you and i go right the way to 75 to 300 which obviously for weddings that wouldn't be great but landscapes it's quite good to to go in really close up on some landscape shots with with a, with a lens like that but yeah if you've, if you've got the spare kit it's it's good there are some companies out there now who are doing a lot of good deals for hiring kit but um it's taking the leap of faith isn't it for weddings and and it's it's somebody's special day and I'm not 100% sure if I'd be confident to, to kind of go that far and, and go, I can make that day, capture it in, in, in the detail that you want, in the shots that you want, without enough experience. Most people don't give you an art direction of what they want. They don't, I want this with my hair flowing from left camera, left to right, with light from this angle. Most people just say, I just want those special moments captured. And actually, the photos people like the most are the ones where everyone's milling about and you're just taking candid shots. It's not those stage ones that people like the most. It's the one, it's the boy, the little five-year-old dancing to Arctic Monkeys. It's the grandma laughing at, at something. And they're really easy to take. That's right, yeah. I've worked as a second shooter and I've, I've got someone in as a second shooter. It was really interesting. The guy I got in as a second shooter was a full-time wedding photographer who, would, who, who had taken some time off for health, I think, and he'd come, come back into it. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll do all the pose stuff. And he had, you know, he had like two cameras hanging off his body. He had like all the like rigging so we could walk around with two heavy DSLRs. He said, I'll do all the pose stuff and you can go around and do the candid stuff. And I got some really good images and he got all the posed ones and he was much more of a people person than I am. I'm not a people person. I hate corralling people into stuff. So I just sort of snuck around and, and took pictures of people. But before he left, I sort of took both our cards and I stored them on my laptop that I took with me. Both sets were really good, but the person who had hired me really liked the candid ones. And editing wasn't too much, you know, editing wasn't too difficult because they were candid. You know, we weren't brightening up people's eyes or I wasn't brightening up people's eyes or anything like that. Yeah, and what was good was I learned something from my second shooter and they learned something from me. They said, oh, I would never thought of doing it that way. So a second shooter is a good way to test the market, not have a huge risk and earn some money doing it as well. Yeah, I think I'll maybe look at those avenues uh, with the couple of wedding photographers that I do know who live locally, see whether that's an option to go along those lines. And just to gain the experience really, maybe in a couple of years time, I'll start doing my own weddings. Yeah, and just thinking about things failing, my cameras that I used for wedding photography, they only had one SD card slot. I was probably on borrowed time. I've never had a card fail, but I know at some point it will fail. I know that's going to happen. I was going to say, I've, I've had some corruption off SD cards on pictures. We were, we were out on a family holiday about two years ago and I was photographing these swans on a lake. And when I put them back into Lightroom, all the, the kind of the bottom half of all these photos of the, just of those ones out of the maybe 200, 300 I took that day were, you know, grainy, funny lines, you know. So I'm not quite sure that was the, the card corruption or the camera did something strange, but that's the only time really I've ever had an issue with a, with a card not kind of displaying the photograph that I'd taken. But a, a lot of these newer cameras now will allow you a backup slot anyway as a CF card or another SD card or something like that so everything gets backed up. Some people I've seen even take a, a hard, you know, an extra hard drive that's got slots in there and dump them straight into the hard drive as a third backup. 
there's not a great deal of difference between consumer DSLR and a professional DSLR, but that's one of them. They might have the same sensor in, they might have pretty pretty close focusing in terms of AF points, but one of the things for professional is it's going to be more rugged and it's going to have two card slots. And that gives a professional photographer that confidence, that backup. Get the confidence, yeah. What I used to do was I'd have several cards with me. I would take maybe 20 images, I'd swap cards so that if one card failed, I hadn't shot all my images on one card. And I also used to put one lens on one camera and one lens on the other and switch between them. So I wouldn't take all my images on one camera. I would have two cameras with me and I'd take have one with the telephoto lens and one with a wide lens and I'd swap so that again, if the worst happened, my camera got stolen, I had at least some images that I could give someone. And I think people would be understanding if, you know, tragedy happened and said, okay, all those 200 images I've got, well, probably 50 are just duplicates, but I've lost them, but I can give you 50 images. They're probably going to be understanding and happy with that. Yeah, and the one tip I was given was every time you take your pictures off your card, is always format the card before you do your next shoot, and that hopefully will remove any corruption that's you know software that's corrupted on on the card there, assuming that the the, the card itself isn't damaged. And format in the camera, not on the computer. In the camera, yeah. And um, but always remember to take your photographs off the card first. I do know someone who did a whole wedding, formatted the card with all of the pictures still on it without them being on his laptop and, and literally the whole day was gone. Oh dear. I do that. I do it at my next shoot. So I've always got into the habit of this. When I go and do photography, I format the card. The reason being, when I get home, I put the card in, I import my pictures into Lightroom, but I don't then format the card at that point just in case the worst happens. So I leave it on the card, but when I go to my next my next time of photography, that's when I format it. So my computer melted or whatever, I saw, oh, I've still got those those really important images on my card. But then by the time I get around to the next shoot, that's not so critical. I'd be shooting over them anyway, so that's the time to format the card, really. I generally cut them off the card and then paste them onto my external hard drive first before I bring them into Lightroom, so at least I've got them off the card onto a hard drive, then do the import, and then I can manage the catalogue that way. And then I'll, I know at least the card is then empty, format it in, back in the camera again, and off to the next shoot. So we've talked about stock, we've talked about um, websites that take your images and, and sell them. We've talked about wedding photography, a little bit about product photography, headshots, LinkedIn profiles, none of which have made us uh, have said, right, we can give up our, our day job here. That's right, yep. <laughs> Still have to pay the bill somehow. Exactly, exactly. If you did give up the day job, you could do more photography business, but... It's taking the leap. It is taking the leap. What other sort of avenues have you explored? To be honest, probably not a lot more than that. The stock photography is the new thing I've been trying, but generally it's been trying to sell framed pictures was, was the original intention for some of the pictures I, I've taken. But other than that, I've not really gone down another route. I have got an idea about doing greetings cards. So I've got an idea about, we've got you know, Valentine's Day coming up next year, is having a set of pictures that are kind of love related with roses, candles, love hearts, that kind of thing. And you quite often, when you go into a supermarket or a card shop, you think, well, okay, th somebody's taken these pictures of, of these greetings cards here could I do a better job or could I could I have some of that business by creating a picture that looks good enough to do a greetings card so I think the next thing for me would be try that avenue and then work out what would sell more than something so we'll, let's assume that Valentine's is quite a good day there's a lot of people will buy cards on Valentine's Day 
So let's focus on doing some pictures that are, are kind of love in inverted commas specific and then see how that goes. I think you don't even need to be aiming for, and this is terrible of me to say, you don't need to be aiming for things that are, can I beat that image? Because it, it, that, that's not your aim. Your aim isn't about getting the best image. Your aim is selling an image, isn't it? So can I sell the image? That's right. Can I be part of that business? I used to work with someone who made cards, not with photo photography. They used to like stick things on and stuff. And I'm really not one for cards. Uh, I'll just, I'll give people a present without a card. I'm, I'm that much of a card criminal. Due to the convenience of working with them in the same place, I would often buy a card from them when it came when I needed to, out of convenience. I could have got, if I'd gone to a supermarket, I could have got it cheaper, but this was handmade. It was unique, but primarily I bought it because it was convenient. There are sort of other ways to look at things and they sort, you know, again, they this making cards didn't allow them to give up their day job, but they were quite happy because their hobby was being financially covered and they weren't spending a fortune on something. So you could look at making cards and, and selling them just locally have you done any and speaking of that have you done any gallery work i haven't no I, I have thought about it a couple of times i've done some test prints and framed them myself just for to hang at home really just to see how the photography looked in larger pictures i was maybe thinking that's one of the things that is on my to-do list is to go along the lines of get a lot of stuff framed and then approach people. I've got a friend of mine who's got a coffee shop out there that maybe hang a few things in, in coffee shops and approach a few other kind of places and see whether they would be interested in, in doing that. Then maybe leading on to if I've got enough stuff, do a gallery exhibition at some point, have a get a, you know rent a space and, and see if anybody's interested in coming along and having a look at it. You've mentioned coffee shops. I'll tell you why that's a great idea, because they will let you display it for free because it looks nice on their wall and you don't have to pay for that. Don't have to pay for the hosting. It's somewhere where people will go in, look at it and maybe buy it. So it's a win-win for both people. So that's definitely a good idea. I think the thing with doing a gallery exhibition, because I've thought of the same thing, it's a slight gamble and you've got your costs up front, haven't you? Indeed. You've got your framing and your printing, which is, is the first thing you need to shell out for. But the, the problem I find is, is, is getting people interested in my work that's the biggest challenge i've faced as a photographer trying to say here's a massive internet sea of people who are photographers and here's my hand holding up going come and look at my stuff that's the, the biggest challenge i've found is to attract people to come and view the images with a, then a potential view to maybe buying something from me so if i did a gallery exhibition i would have the same issue i would think whereas if, if not enough people know about me and not enough people are familiar with my work, why would they then come and see some pictures in a gallery, a, 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 you know, an amateur artist or an amateur photographer? I would maybe think that a bit like if you go and see a band and there's always a support act, it might be a good idea to go and find a gallery that's got a, an exhibition of somebody who's already established, which brings the people through the door and then go and approach them and say, hey, look, I've got this work here. It's kind of contemporary with what you're displaying here for two weeks or however long. Can I have a, you know, a small wall space in a corner somewhere, put my stuff up and then you've got the footfall, then you get the interest and then you can then market yourself from that and hopefully get a little bit more interest and word would spread. Yeah, it's very difficult without having any notoriety, isn't it? To, to get that footfall and audience. It's very hard to get noticed trying to just get people to come and be interested in in my work is is the the biggest challenge i think i've faced and it's 
there's so many photographers out there and with smartphones and what have you and Instagram and these kind of places, there's so many people taking good photos. Even on a smartphone, you can take a reasonably good photo and you just are lost in this sea of, of photographs and you need something that's really outstanding to make yourself stand out from everybody else who's also trying to put their hand up in this massive ocean of photographs. And have you considered commissioning, doing commission work for people? Because while we're talking about selling lots, selling to lots of people, selling a commission to one person, you'd have a much higher margin and therefore wouldn't need to sell so much. Does that make sense? It does. But again, it's how does, does a person who may be potentially looking for somebody to do that, how do I then stand out amongst all of the other people who could also do that job? It's, it's the same problem, just with a different jacket on. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Are there any sites that work on m matching people who need commissions to people who do commissions? Not that I've come across yet, but if there's anybody who's listening who does know that, maybe leave a comment and, and let us know on that one. But I'm sure there must be, because there's, everybody's got an idea and there's all, always an avenue somewhere along the line, but it's just trying to find that site. And of course, once you get success, you will get referrals from people who will say, oh, I used this site, or I got this picture from X place, and this was really good. But it's about landing that first one, isn't it? It's getting the recognition, and then hopefully from that recognition, if the person who's booked you or hired you is influential enough or has enough Twitter followers or something along those kind of lines to then re-promote you for free, you then get the work coming in based on that, and it's a... It's a never-ending cycle then, you know, you, you get one job and then another job leads to another job. So we talked earlier about having to do some work for free, just a little bit, not the rest of your life working for free. Have you attempted the avenue of doing bits for people who have a large Twitter following for promotion or have you not gone down that route? Not specifically, no. I wouldn't really know fully what that would entail, to be honest. A lot of people are quite good at self-promoting and they're, somehow they've got a magic formula of getting 20, 30, 40,000 followers or something like that. So they're obviously doing something right, but I've never really been approached or, or had the thought of how could I make that an advantage for myself, push my photography forward in something that they would need. So we've talked today about, I'll, I'll bring us back to the title actually, the title is Not Making Money From Photography. And I've made a little bit to cover my kit costs. I'm guessing you've made a little bit, but we've certainly both worked at it and certainly both found things that do work and things that don't work. I'm probably not going to continue trying to make money from photography. My time is now taken up with, well, actually, I'll, when I was trying to make a bit of money from photography, I didn't have a family. I now have a family. My time has sort of gone, and, and I've started doing this podcast as well, which takes up a lot of time, and I have quite a demanding career. So I'm not going to attempt to make money from photography, but I guess you are still going to keep going. Yeah, it's more of a, a passion thing, really, than uh, a need to make money. I mean, I make money from my day job, which covers my expenses that I need. The photography is uh, something else that I would, would still do, even if I got to 60 and I still didn't make a bean from it. I would still go out and do it because I, you know, I, I love going finding images, I love going to locations, I love you know, meeting other photographers and, and talking about photography and just as a subject in general. So I, I will still try and pursue the avenues that we've, we've covered in, in the podcast. But if I never made a cent out of it again, 
that wouldn't really bother me. I, I would I would still just continue to do it. Where are you sort of heading in in the future? What are you aiming to do next? Well, as we covered, uh, the, the the stock photography is really the thing I'm, I've I've just started looking at and having my work accepted on. So I think I said maybe two three weeks. I've been on a couple of these sites now. So that that for the foreseeable future is probably where I will go. I will also continue to you know take pictures on when I go holiday or trips away or, or things like that and just try and find interesting places to, to do some photography on. I keep looking online obviously at these kind of 10 ways of making money from a photographer and still hope that the one way that I haven't heard of yet is is a new way that I, I could try and then I'll follow that avenue until I can get to a point where I go right okay well I've done that I've, I've got as far as I can with that let's wait for the next idea to come along or another colleague might suggest have you tried x y or z and then i'll go down that route but i'm very open-minded i'm very open to new suggestions anything really is as good as long as we can get the, the picture taken and people enjoy it i've just remembered i did a bit of event photography as well again due to my dynamics of not being a people person wasn't really my thing but it's probably a bit safer than wedding photography if that makes sense there's not the pressure on it yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I've never done anything like that. I mean, I've done, just for personal pictures, just done like motor shows and things like that, which are big events in, in that respect, but nothing ever that I've ever had a commission to do for, for anything that's advertising. I did I did a party for someone. In fact, I've done two parties. One was a children's party. I don't know why someone wanted a photographer there, but I think it was there was a special element, or they had all their family there for this party, um, and they'd hired like a hotel room, so it's quite a big thing. And I did that. And that I got through someone I know. He said, oh, I'm doing video for this. Do you want to come along and do stills? And yeah, fine. I'll, you know, I helped him out, basically. Network, I suppose, networking. Not that I have a massive network. I knew someone. And he sort of, I, I helped him out. Networking's quite good. That opens up doors. So, yeah, I did that. And I did, again, I think it was maybe from Gumtree or something. I, I, I did like a 40th birthday party, which was harder than the kids party because it was like in a, in a bar it was all hot and sweaty it was in the middle of summer as well and you're carrying around all your kit and flash and stuff and everyone's having a good time because they're at a party but you're working so it's yeah. a bit yeah so yeah i've given that a go not my thing hours are unsociable as well i think there is good money to be made in it potentially i suppose i suppose it depends how how you look at it is is do you want to do it as a money thing or do you want to do it as a passion thing or try and do it as a little bit of both? I mean, personally, I'll probably I'll try and do it as a little bit of both. I mean, I do it as a passion initially, and then if the money comes along, that's a bonus. But I don't think I would actively go and seek out some kind of gigs like that just because it's some money. You know, it's, it's giving up your evening. It's difficult environment to, to take a picture, and, you know, flashing lights, difficult to expose correctly and, and these kinds of things. So it's a big challenge, which... You know, maybe it's for some people, but I don't, I'm not quite sure if that's for me. I mean, and, and ultimately, we're both really, we're amateurs. We don't, our main profession is not photography. Our, our hot, you know, we, we're both not making a great deal from photography, if anything. But what we're talking about, really, and, and what's just hit me, is there's the, the avenues that can make a lot of money, but then there's the interest and enthusiasm for it. So event photography and wedding photography, photography for me, huge avenues to make a lot of money but my passion and interest were fairly low now i like really i like taking pictures of people uh, as portraits but not people in weddings and in events it was all right so the huge earning potential is quite stark against the 
the passion I have for it, which is quite low, it looks like you've sort of gone for a middle. You've picked something you are quite passionate about, taking images of things for and stock photography will never make as much money as wedding and events. It seems like the passion you have and the potential for earnings are sort of more matched than things I've done. Yeah, I think the route I've gone down is more of a slow burner. You know, the passion's there to take the pictures as the more avenues open up to how you can then market or sell your pictures, the more potentially avenues for money coming in are, which is a bonus if that happens. I don't know whether you can hear this on the podcast, but there's, there's a big rumbling in the background. Hopefully you can't. It's actually a quad bike. Um, we, it's a gl- it's a nice summer's day. It's a, not too hot at the moment, and we've met. We've met in a park. We actually met at, at a place, and we met in a park, and we agreed to do that because we both have quite noisy households. So we we've, we've sat down in a park, a lovely park, not in any way busy. A couple of people walking through, but there've been quad bikes parked next to this restaurant we're near, and they weren't wearing helmets either. Can you believe that? A man and a wife on a quad bike. Quite old, quite elderly, not wearing helmets. I'm quite disappointed with that. And I think on that note, I think we'll probably finish here because we've both talked quite a lot about attempting to make money, making a bit of money, not making money, and all the avenues we've explored. And I hope for those people who are listening, maybe that helps you in your quest to make money. Maybe you think you've just put me off it, in which case we've saved you a bit of pain. And I hope it's been useful. So Mike, where can people find your work? So my website is mikemalloy.photography and Malloy is spelt M-O-L-L-O-Y. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Malloy Photo or on Instagram, mikemalloy.photography, the same as the site. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. If you want to listen to my podcast and gain more, more bonus content and not have to put up with any adverts or sponsorship, my podcast is available on Patreon if you want to support me that way. And there are a whole host of bonuses and reasons to do that as well as supporting me. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash 160s, you can explore that further. But I just want to say thank you to Mike and I want to say thank you to listening. Goodbye.